David A. Price presents... folks welcome to episode uh, whoops <coughs> hello folks welcome to marvel noise episode 334 i'm your host steve raker down in the comic book bunker but connected through those interwebs with the la rabbit out in la and kevin wwx up in the wwx woods of canada what's up guys I'm dialing in from my modem. Ah, I love to ask for your response at the same time, so you guys have to talk, are trapped in talking over each other. (laughs) Uh, And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for those kids and that dog. At least we have an excuse, Steve. It's bad enough when it's just Kevin and I on indie noise talking over each other. <laughs> well, you should li- not only listen to Marvel Noise, but check out Indie Comic Book Noise. It's our sister podcast where we get to talk about the indie books we're digging on. It's become Andrew and Kevin's pet project. They've been mightily <laughs> prolific since taking over the editing duties, and I think I get on maybe every fourth show or so, something like that. We need to get you on more, Steve. I just need to read more. It's been it's been tricky having mobile kids who do stuff (laughs) Uh, Marvel Noise is a podcast proudly sponsored by nobody but if we were sponsored by somebody this time around it would be the Baltimore Comic Con which you should go online for information about that show the guest list is becoming huge and this year it is the week after New York Comic Con not the week or the two weeks before So that's an interesting dynamic and should be a little cooler down there in the inner harbor of Baltimore. And I am looking forward to this show as I do every year, putting all my eggs in the Baltimore basket this year. See you in Baltimore. And we are uh, happily distributed by the Deliberate Noise Network, which you can go online and find out more information about. There are so many shows for you to enjoy on the Deliberate Noise Network. And MarvelNoise.com is the best place for you to find new episodes of the show, stream or download. And there's a handy-dandy drop-down calendar menu on the right-hand side where you can listen to old archive episodes. All right, It's fun to just go grab some random old episode. There's plenty of evergreen segments on Marvel Noise that aren't tied to any particular event coming up. There really are. I mean, it wasn't until, I mean, in the early days when it, when the show was like uh, David and Pat reading the new releases of the week, uh, that's one thing. But I, it wasn't then for years and years, it wasn't until kind of we took over the show that we started doing like recent read type roundtables and talking about more current books. Before then, it was uh, pretty much all features about Bronze Age stuff. Thunderbolts. We're the Foom generation. So, what have you well, guys been reading? I have been reading a lot of book. Should should we start with the new big event? The Jonathan Hickman returns to Marvel. Oh, it's, I thought you were talking about the other event. 
to Hickmanize the X-Men. The, the Hickman? I picked up House of X number one. Thankfully, WWX Kev reminded me. He's on Twitter, and I saw his tweet. I didn't realize the book had come out, because as regular listeners know, I tend to go to the store, you know, every other week or whatever. But now that this event has happened, and I intend to buy fully in. So I jumped on board. Uh, did you boys also start this uh, Hickman event? How could I not? Absolutely. So it's the House of X and Powers of X, and they're each going to be six issues. But because they're released uh, concurrently, um, Hickman actually provides a nice little reading order in the back, which I'm sure Kevin was happy about. <laughs> Is it really that hard to figure out? <laughs> I'm the one that loves the reading orders. <laughs> Kevin likes to fight with them. And this is not fair to uh, Pepe Larraz, but when I saw that cover, I had a very strong Alan Davis vibe mm. because Professor X's new outfit reminds me of the character Slaymaster, the Captain Britain Vi- villain. I yeah. don't know if you guys remember him. Yeah. Because it's that black bodysuit with kind of a goofy helmet. I mean, it doesn't have the big X on it, but it has like a V type shape. And then when you combine that with, I think, Captain Britain and I think Excalibur and I think Alan Davis, I don't know. It just had a very strong vibe that covered to me, which is a good thing. But I know it's probably not fair to Mr. Laraz, who has worked hard, or she has worked hard. I don't know if. Pepe's a man or woman. More recently, the it reminded me of the design for the ultimate Fantastic Four Reed Richards now, like as the <laughs> maker with the big head and the tight little bodysuit thing going on. I had to look twice to be like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a Cerebro on his head that he's wearing. Um, I was just thinking about Cyclops' costume, where he had the giant axe on there. Yeah, I thought Cyclops, too. I guess that's a look that maybe Marvel is going to the well to a lot. For me, the other thing that helps, and we've talked about this before, I sometimes have expectation issues, Uh but I think Hickman has sort of laid out how he approaches these big events. So with me going into the mindset, it really, I felt he was doing what he does best, so I liked it. I don't know. I think some of my original trepidation with Hickman was sort of figuring out how he does these kind of big things I know for Marvel Noise fans there was a lot of talk on Fantastic Foresights about because I think uh, that was his first big Marvel work if I'm not mistaken Steve well he had Secret Warriors before that but we never gave but that, that wasn't proper co- coverage because I still have never read that series Ow. one of these days I think yeah, I read some of the tie-ins. Complaining for like years about the, about the X Men, how it wasn't going anywhere. Well, this is a. I mean, it's great that Hickman has the cred from doing FF and then the Avengers and Secret Wars, that they are willing to give him the control to. I mean, I'm sure this editor's all over this thing, but to give him the you know the old trust in Hickman bit. Um, he can. He's got that clout now, where he's he can. Uh, they can stop publishing all the X books. You know, I'm sure yeah. within two or three months we'll have a half a dozen or so again. <laughs> but for now, um, we get to wipe the slate clean in that Hickman way, where he doesn't really piss on the past 
but definitely moves forward and gives you all kinds of side graphics and visuals to help things along and flags and symbols and interconnections and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, I think he said he wanted to be additive, not uh, destructive to the X-Men. Which is dangerous in the X-Men universe. There's so many characters, there's been so many mass waves of mutants and things that it's to say you're going to add more is potentially a, a, a slippery slope. But at the same time, I guess since they've been whittled down and we haven't had any new mutants in a while, except for Hope and... I guess we still never really figured her out, did we? <laughs> we know now she's an Omega-level mutant, <laughs> thanks to the one of the many charts provided. What I think Hickman, and in this case, LaRaz and the rest of the team do, is also parcel out all these different interwoven storylines. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times these events, you feel like you're following one kind of main thing. And here I feel like there's a lot of different threads that are weaving in and out. And I think that's an underrated uh, thing that he adds. Because I feel it's very old school to have all these uh, different subplots going. And and they get plenty of room to breathe. And it's also very X-Men. You know, those old Claremont and before him, even the Len Wein stuff, had all those little, you know, interludes to one-page things that were happening or epilogues that set up something that would be followed up on, gosh, sometimes issues later, sometimes years later, sometimes never. (laughs) And the whole time I was also, and this isn't really fair, but if I was Warner Brothers, I would have told DC to back up the truck and have (laughs) Hickman take over Legion of Superheroes. Well, they backed up the truck to Bendis, I guess, on Legion of Superheroes instead. Because I feel like with his ability to take things of a vast scope, the Legion offers, you know, different planets and time frame. And the other thing that's nice is it can be separate from the main continuity or completely within it. And so you don't feel like maybe you're derailing or having a different characterization. That would be, I guess, the only concern is that we're going to see them interact with the Fantastic Four and these other heroes, which puts not just as an X-Men event, but also tangentially showing those other books and what's going on and so placing it. Sometimes, I don't know, the integration of that, if that work well. But maybe we won't see that much of it, I don't know. I just thought it was cool that Hickman brought in the FF. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Unexpected. Because to be honest, I have dropped that FF book. I mean, I'll probably pick it up oh. sometime later, but I, I, I've given up on it for now. Interesting. I There's lasted also to creepy the moments in here. I guess Xavier's always has a level of, of creep factor, right? <laughs> we don't Going hear... inside people's heads and all that stuff. We don't hear much from him in, in this issue. Uh, you know, I'm not even certain it's it's even really him. Well, that's I, the weird thing. From the first panel, you're not really sure. Like, there's like great stuff happening. You're like, I like that guy and everything, but it's like, I'm not sure how all that stuff connects with everything else. You know, there's a thing where there's an envoy of uh, human um, ambassadors and 
other statesmen who are coming to meet with Xavier, and they don't get to meet with Xavier. Magneto does all the talking. <laughs> uh, you know, and and whenever Ma- you do hear Xavier only say a few things in the issue, like to me, my X-Men, that line, and another thing where he shoots Jean a little thought that that she's safe when she arrives on the, the new mutant island. We've had, we've had mutant island now how many times, but here we go. Uh, again, this time it's Krakoa, which is a kind of a nice touch since it brings, uh, you know, brings the old lawn of, uh, <laughs> of the Gray Malkin Lane School there, uh, uh, back to the prominence. I always like that when the ground is quite literally can move under their feet. But it's weird. Xavier doesn't get to, and, you know, and then Cyclops does the talking later when it, it's, I'm not sure that it, could they be just propping it up to, again kind of give credibility to what they're doing and it's really like you know emma frost or something or maybe it's the slave master and i've stumbled upon me <laughs> and it i think not showing the eyes is always creepy yeah plus the idea of an ambulatory chuck without the without is particularly frightening because he was always as kevin noted kind of creepy but being limited by his staying kind of behind the scenes but the idea of him leading the charge seems a little... Eh, I don't know. I don't like it. And he has a lot of plans. Plans yes. within plans. But it's always people talking about his plans. It's not yeah. him. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just at face value, but it just seemed weird. And he seems to have his own place, because they have all these charts and graphs, and I like charts and graphs. This is the modern version of like the 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 cutaway, right? <laughs> exactly. And you, you, it seems like there's an Xavier place, and it seems like there's a Magneto place, and then there's like this, like there's then there's that weird there like an island where there's like nothing, but there's just off to the side, and then your your mind's kind of like, hmm, how many they'll they'll explore some of that stuff. Well, and they've already laid the seeds for. One of the other interesting things I always like when they have the idea that the mutants are going to separate from the rest of people. Yeah. And that's that mutants and humans are oftentimes part of the same family. It's pitched that way to the Fantastic Four with Franklin, but it can also, I'm sure, happen the reverse, where two mutant parents have a non-mutant baby. You know, it raises those questions of how are they going to, are they going to be strict about booting out, you know, if it turns out you don't have a mutant kid. That's the other, when you start reading some of these charts, the way they describe certain things or talk about stuff, you're just like, well, that's alarming. (laughs) Yes, I was particularly shocked at the number of Omega-level mutants that were listed, which I guess makes sense, but I feel like everything, the sort of power creep that happens in comics is they need to make continually new, splashier characters. The only I think one most of those me, we already knew. Yeah, the only one that surprised me kind of was that Storm was on the list, really, to me. I was surprised that Hope was... Oh, yeah, 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 and Hope, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Considered Omega level. And I was unsure Still of the... Still don't know what uh, Hope does, really, even. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I also wasn't, wasn't familiar with Exodus. Uh, oh, you're I, not? The one, the dude who always is, was hanging out with Magneto back in the Asteroid M days, he's been in the animated series. He's been, he's been all over the place. 
No? Yeah, I think I blacked out a lot. I remember <laughs> Asteroid M when it was the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and uh, and more of the arch kind of character. So I assume Exodus was the Acolytes time period? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay, yeah, then that's why I, w- I would have blacked out all that stuff. But I was glad to see Jamie Braddock on the list, too. I always enjoyed those Captain Britain yeah. crazy comics. Dude looking like Jesus wearing a diaper, changing reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he always seemed like a fun fun villain and a fun time. I really like those ones. But yeah, it just seemed like... Well, you also put... Uh, I feel like Iceman also seems like an odd... I always think of Omega as like planet killer type ones, and I guess he could freeze the whole world or something, but... Anyways, that was just a weird side. I like these lists, but then I always wonder, like, is this now canon? Like, is anyone... If someone tries to bring up, you know, Emma Frost or whatever, can we say she's clearly not? Because she's not on the list. Right. Sorry. Hickman didn't say you were on the list. (laughs) (laughs) You're off the Kulometer. But anyways, as you guys intimated, in case it's not clear to listeners, the X-Men are setting up their own sovereign nation. But because of the powers of Krakoa, they're able to transport instantaneously all around the world to all the different outlets, and that makes the various current world powers nervous. But they're offering some beneficial drugs and other hints that will help the rest of the world in exchange for accepting the country. Yeah, you got to mention the flowers. Yeah, they planted the flowers in weird places so they could get weird properties out of Krakoa's weird mutant biology, and they ended up with a drug that adds five years to a human's lifespan. Another drug that is an antibiotic, and another drug that's like a very powerful antipsychotic. So they want to um, manufacture these pharmaceuticals and use them as leverage for, um, you know, negotiation um, ability with with all the other powers that be and, and to be able to be recognized as a nation. Kind of a cool thing. Certain- yeah, and it certainly seems like a very reasonable... I can't imagine any... A nation wouldn't take the five years alone added to people's lives. What leader isn't going to take that so they themselves can get an extra five years out? I mean, in the past, that's always been a problem, right? What's the export of of the nation of mutants? And it's usually ends up being mutant slave labor driven, whatever it is. It it almost skirts that territory because it's like we got to harness the power of these Omega level mutants as our export and all this stuff. And I'm like... Kind of sounding like they're not people, like they're objects that you can do what you want with to create stuff. The teleportation aspect of the flowers I thought was a little bit of a, you know, uh, uh, too much of a (laughs) convenience, I think. But it's a little too man-thingy, you know? Creco and man-thing are two different things. Mm. The flowers Jeez. also reminded me of that dude at the beginning of uh, Hickman's Avengers run. If it ends up, Steve, that like the man thing is in the final showdown. <laughs> <laughs> As it's he really has to rain in Krakoa. That would be funny. But no, I'm completely pleased. I also feel 12 issues is super manageable. 
I mean, even if he has to have an extra, you know, wrap-up or whatever, it's not... I'm not, like... I went through the War of Realms, as you guys know, and I bought, I don't know, like 90% of the tie-ins or whatever. (laughs) And it felt logistically like... Oh, whenever you have that many, there's always some question about reading order and what comes where and slotting things in and how organic it feels and everything with this you know it's just a well-engineered 12 issue limited series so i'm very excited and at least from the books that have been announced you know pre-announced that kind of thing it looks like there might be the opportunity that there's just going to be one flagship x book at the end even though there's going to be a bunch of other titles but it would be nice you know i i wouldn't mind coming out of this buying one x book (laughs) <laughs> I don't. I, I'll probably be buying more than one. Well, I feel as long as they brand it better than, like, I feel like you could have an X Men main team and maybe a new mutant style. I feel like there is a little room to have a couple different titles, but I do think having the two different teams and things like that makes it a bit messier. And when it comes time to trim pull lists or if you mission issue it those sort of things make it easy for me to stop because I did I was reading that and I think we talked about it on the show I apologize on the episodes but the weekly thing uh, Zub was working on where it was also supposed to be kind of like a soft reboot of the X-Men the what? you don't remember that? you mean the Avengers? no there was also a uh, X-Men event that was coming out and I think there was? maybe it was a recent one that was it, Brisson. With Ahab and everything? Oh, come yeah. On. But that was the teen X-Men going back to where they were supposed to be. Yes, it was the that whole Marvelous X-Men. And there was a, a Uncanny, and it was coming out weekly at the time. Oh, that one. But that yeah. was just an ongoing book. Right, but it was a whole event that they specifically ah. started. I, that. I and they renumbered it, too. Title, not an event event. Yeah, but they renumbered the book and made it yeah. seem like a special event. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but anyways, I jumped on for that to try and see what was if that was going to be like something for me. But it, it wasn't terrible, but it didn't make me hunger to restart the whole X-Men thing. And I know we talked about the first few issues of that. So you guys are in for both of these Hickman titles to see where this goes like I am, right? All pre-ordered up. All excited. I mean, not pre-ordered or anything. Let's not go crazy. But yeah, I'm on board. Kevin, did you read the last issue of the Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider book? That book ended with issue 10. Which also actually is a legacy issue 50 for the character. Which is kind of that's a lot of issues. It was really good. Uh, This is written by uh, Sheenan McGuire, with artists Takeshi Mayazawa and Rosie Compi, and it almost has a bit of a Sienkiewicz finishes look to it, like when Sienkiewicz would finish, like Sal Buscema on uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, that kind of look. Um, and, but I didn't know it was going to be a last issue, but it has Spider-Gwen coming to our reality in search of information regarding 
her powers acting sporadically and she doesn't have access to the good version of Eddie Brock that they have in her universe so she needs to come to our universe to see if she can get the Eddie Brock of our world to help her out and that doesn't get solved in this issue but she does make it to our reality and hooks up with Spider-Man and they kind of go off together and uh, they get sidetracked by you'll love this Kevin they fight Swarm oh yeah that's good times but it's Swarm takes over in a goes to a museum and takes over a giant like T-Rex skeleton (laughs) instead of a human skeleton (laughs) so it's like a big T-Rex swarm that they're fighting that's pretty good yeah yeah, I guess she came over to our world just in time to relaunch her new book where she's in our world. Exactly. By the time the issue ends, she names herself as Ghost Spider, and Peter's like, what? And she's like, just go with it. <laughs> and yeah, now we have a new future for the character and a new status quo while she's stuck here in this universe, and or at least hanging out until she can figure out how to fix her sporadic powers. Yeah, she better just be hanging out because that's one of those things where it's like the all the cool stuff was in her world. If she stays here too long, it won't be as cool. Well, if she's having problems, she can always turn to Tony Stark and his cast and have someone take over there, and then she can be known as Ghost Pepper. Wow. Nice. Oh, come a on. Real, a real spicy number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I like the character, but Ghost Spider has not won my heart over yet. No. But Spider-Gwen would be, is, doesn't really work in the field. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she needed a name, I guess, and so Ghost Spider... She had a name, but it was was a name used by a lot of other people. And can I tell you, Kevin, did you ever read, and I'm thinking that you didn't, so this is me trying to light a fire under you. Did you ever Ooh. read the Jessica Jones Purple Daughter book that was digital first and then they put into print? The Kelly Thompson uh, Jessica Jones book? I, re- I recently got the first volume and it's on my shelf. You gotta read it, read. dude. Because you liked the Daredevil Purple Children storyline. Oh, yeah, that was one of the better stories in that title. Kelly Thompson puts herself in a very risky position here for people who enjoy these books because she's, you know, writing Jessica Jones post-Bendis, and then she's touching again upon the whole Purple Man thing and the Purple Children and all that, which it feels like it's been done before so many times, right? And yet is really intriguing, like edge of your seat, page turning, intriguing and really enjoyable. The characterizations are great. The whole purple man thing. At first I was like, Oh no, is the purple man really coming back? I thought he got thrown into the sun or whatever. Uh, (laughs) And uh, it's, it's really good, dude. You got to read it. I, I thought of you the whole time as to how enjoyable it was. I just ordered the two volumes that she worked on of that Jessica Jones one, so it should be here, uh, you know, in a couple of days. Because I no, had fallen I'll... off, and then I was like, "Oh, I got to order those trades." It's a really good epilogue to like, what are you going to do with the Purple Children 
and the whole purple man thing and everything. It, it's good. I was catching up on Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, how'd you like the Craven's arcade stuff? I like that. It was good, but I kind of slowed the title down because I was, of course, Spider-Man. I'm into like the supporting cast and all the subplots, and all that stuff just kind of goes away, and it kind of goes into a thing where it's like, oh, this is a few hours and a few issues. Oh, I thought it was like, like a breath of fresh air, like just. Really, everything into one big situation there, and having all those different characters, getting more Black Cat, getting a lot more Lizard with that new situation and and status quo, uh, a new Sinister Six type of group. I thought that was cool. I mean, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it just wasn't uh, wasn't jazzing me up a lot. But the, you know, they had those one shots that were that were interesting and everything with the Gibbon and there, like. That's all enjoyable. What bothers me but it's, about it's, it's the... like Spider-Man standing around as people are dying, and Craven's like at the window soon, like for issues. And issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you knew what was going to happen at the end, right? I mean, I didn't spoil it on the last episode of Marvel Noise by saying that, like, you know, Craven kind of gets replaced by his kid, like we've seen so many times before. Yeah, um, yeah. Or at least once before. But it was certainly well, telegraphed. Well, so many kids, and it, like. Yeah, since th- you've already done these things, it's it's not like it's not upsetting in a way. Like I don't know, maybe someone could be upset, but it's not like oh, they we're we're never gonna be able to use like it wasn't anything. And we've seen Craven; he's been established as being pretty mentally ill, right? So yeah, yeah, it isn't. It was like, like they, all zombieish and everything before. It, it wasn't a good look. It isn't like they broke a character that was working pretty, <laughs> pretty well. So yeah. Yeah, I don't you think know, he's been right since Craven's last hunt. Right, that's what this was like. Us, yeah, th- that's what time. a lot of the stories I think were about. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm actually, I would actually be more upset if like he had killed off like at, like all his family, like even the new characters they they had introduced. Like I, I kind of enjoyed some of them more than zombie Craven going around. The thing I and doing like, the thing that's stuff. like the big driving storyline that's that this was a break from is this thing where there's this like uber powerful um bandaged oh. cloaked yeah. dude who's yeah. in the shadows and he knows everything about everybody and he's the behind everything and he's the one who gave the green goblin his mask in the first place i mean it just makes it seem like and i'm being facetious by adding that but it, they're they're having him as if he's so tied to everything and has been behind, uh, this master string puller and it's like he's this drooling ghouly i don't know he just keeps reminding me of the carrion character but i can't shake it yeah he i'm kind of like so it's ben riley or is this, it's kind of one of like one of those things <laughs> again i know i i love um I think it's Otley that did the issue with with Mysterio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, ah, uh, Mysterio so awesome. Until he encounters that ghoul yeah, bandage yeah. dude, then he's like a I, I know, and you're baby. Like, and he's sort of talking to the reader. Well, you're not going to find out who I am yet. And, and like and, I'm like that's fine. And he claims to have led Mysterio out of hell, and he's the one who brought him back to life after his Kevin Smith daredevil suicide i i don't know dude 
we'll we'll see. I don't know. It's like that's not also not really what I what I'm into. Like maybe I'll get into it. Like when we <laughs> when we find out like what this, this dude's just not in the background going. I'm spooky, and we're like okay. But like they had the um, yeah, you were saying the 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 new Sinister Six was uh, sort of there, and then we have another team like the Sinister Syndicate. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like White Rabbit's there. Of course, he has a, a a dairy, right? Too funny. And then like Lady Auk is there, and like the Beetle from Superior Foes. And I'm like, I'm totally digging that stuff. And then Boomerang, like that. It's so it's such a weird cast of characters in a way, but very enjoyable. So are you guys, I'm going to just wait and catch it on Unlimited or on the backside, but are you guys yeah. going to be following Absolute Carnage? or uh, d- Just the main story and um, the Venom title. Like, I don't, none of those those 90s excess characters really speak to me, and none of them have any creators that I'm super into, so... Like, it's not like, oh, Russell Dalton is doing an issue or something like that. Then I'd be like, oh, I gotta check that out. So, like, all those other ones, I'm, I'm just, I'm just skipping. What is Russell Dalton doing? Anything? I, I don't know. Taking a rest after <laughs> War of Realms? <laughs> something indie now? Maybe. That would make sense, right? I don't know. Maybe well, he's working on the next event, for all we know. It's not uh, Russell Dodderman, but I did pick up the Jane Foster Valkyrie series, which is Jason Aaron, Al Ewing, Kerfu, and a Bertoff with her in the new Valkyrie role. And I kind of, I thought it was a nice sort of fresh take, while I'm generally not that into, like, heroes figuring out their powers. What the twist on this I like is she's already been a superhero. So while she's figuring out her new powers, it's not like she's like, how does this work? What's going on? How do you know some (laughs) of the stuff that is common when you have new heroes figuring out their powers, they gloss over that because she's an experienced heroes. So I like the weapon that changes form based on the bad guy and she seems to have the correct power level and they laid a few seeds. I mean, I wasn't super thrilled with, it seems like poor Heimdall never gets a good break on anything, mm. but he'll get his limited series soon, I'm sure. Yeah, Daredevil can always replace him. He's he's now <laughs> replaceable. Did you, I say, would did you say Jason it. Aaron and Al Ewing? Yeah, that's what I, I couldn't figure out if it was... I didn't research to what degree. <laughs> I don't know if Jason Aaron gets credit for create... You know, one of those, like... Well, he kind of built the bones of the character, maybe gave a little bit of the plotting, and then Al's going to take over. I guess it depends on issues two, three, and four, but there is a thanks to Russell Dodderman in it. So I wonder if some of this was just, hey, we recognize you know what you did with the character and how you put it in this place, and a bit of a handoff to the new team. But it, it struck me as weird, too. Or I don't know if they just put his name on help sell it or maybe he wrote a lot of it I don't know but I assume it was kind of a handoff type of thing yeah I assume it'll be Which like that but the, like that's two I don't know two names 
So I'm like, I see that. I'm like, I'm buying it. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like it was... I was at uh, not my normal store, but I had to pick up the House of X, and I saw it was there, and they only had one rack copy left, so I was like, well, I better buy it on the off chance this is some super hot book, and I'm never <laughs> going to see it again. So, But I'm glad I did. I enjoyed it. I'm cutting back my list a little bit for silly fiscal reasons. I mean, not extraordinary. I'm trying to be a little bit more selective, so... That War of Realms really <laughs> hammered Andy's pocketbook a little bit. <laughs> so did you flip any of those yet? No, I haven't. I'm still waiting on my the bulk. I have like a, a lot of 100-some-odd Secret Wars tie-in books that I'm currently, which I really love that event, but the realization I'm unlikely to reread. I gave Bob Breetall at Comic Spectrum. He came through and picked over about you know, 30 or 40 issues he needed of the tie-ins, and I'm just trying to dump the rest, so we'll see how that goes. But, I don't know how, I don't know. We'll see what I do with War of Realms. War of Realms. I like that title. It was a long time coming. (laughs) It was. Years in the making. And I also, I think this has been talked about, but I did pick up Captain America and the Invaders, the Roy Thomas, Jerry Ordway throwback issue, which I thought was pretty cool. And what I really like about it is it includes a digital code, but it's the only one that doesn't have that plastered across the cover. Because normally they're like, digital code included. And I was like, whoa, it doesn't say it. Maybe there won't be a digital code. But there is a digital code. (laughs) So if that was what was holding you back, true believers, go ahead and buy it and enjoy your digital code. And that's a throwback World War II Captain America story. I thought it was interesting the uh, uh, Ordway, I think uh, J. David Ramos, the colors have like an interesting effect on it. Yes. Sort of they went for like a, I, I don't know what, it just felt unusual. Yep. I like a colored pencil type of effect. I mean, not that it was done with that, but th- I didn't know if that's what they were trying to emulate. I don't know. It reminded me a little bit of the Malibu years. Uh. Yeah, it was just one of those ones that I don't know if I like it or don't like it. It's just very different. It's not like the typical modern coloring. And at the risk of being accused of being a shill, I wanted to reiterate that I think that the Marvel website is something worth checking out from time to time. During the recent San Diego Comic-Con, they streamed um, several of the panels, and they have their little interview booth from the floor. So they had interviews with lots of different creators. And it's just nice that the next day they'll do, like, highlights from it. But I just feel like there's a lot of content, if you're not there, that you can experience. And I really like this trend of streaming the shows, because it gives you a feeling of kind of being there, getting the news or whatever. And usually it's on in the background. It's not like my full whatever. But it's nice to kind of have it on and get that convention feel because it's it's usually filmed from the booth when they're not streaming panels. So big shout out to Marvel. Check that stuff out. You know, there's there's cool things. I mean, there's a lot of silly like their YouTube stuff and whatever. But I think they've built their website into something that has some value 
if you can slog through a lot of the commercials and all that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll acknowledge all that stuff too, but hey, I was stuck at work and putting it on in the background was a nice treat for that those couple of days. Speaking of the San Diego Comic Con, you guys have any thoughts about the Phase 4 wave of Marvel movies that got announced? Um, excited? I was somewhat underwhelmed, except for, like, the undated ones that were the far-off one was Fantastic uh, Four. I was like, yeah, let's get there. <laughs> uh, and, and the mention of the multiverse and the Doctor Strange title, that's cool. And yeah. I, I thought all the small screen stuff, too, the from the Disney streaming, because we're going to get that, which I know sucks if you can't get it or it's an extra upcharge, but... Mm, yeah, well, I was, well We'll we'll see if it uh, if it comes here or if it's like the DC streaming. But I was pretty excited to see that they're actually going to have stuff because it's the entire Disney thing. So that means Star Wars, regular Disney cartoons, all that. So it's nice they have content specifically Marvel related. I mean, the What If show seems like a great idea. Almost seems too good to be true. <laughs> yeah. But I was particularly uh I had sort of forgotten that they're actually still going to do the Eternals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not surprising with the Warner Brothers doing a New Gods, right? They might as well <laughs> with both companies at the same time mining Kirby's most like hard to really grab hold then got kind of put away and just keeps getting revisited by creators who love the content, but it's hard for them to get a series of any of that material on both sides of the of town um, to, to get either of those books to be successful over decades and decades of having the properties. Yeah, it's strange that they're both making movies at the same time, although I guess it shouldn't be because it's such a copycat industry. Well, it just feels like the Eternals in particular, uh, were uh, never a, like, say what you will about the new gods, Dark Side came out of it, and he was in cartoons and really penetrated public consciousness, but not that the Eternals didn't have spin-out characters that were later used, but I remember those things were always, as a kid, they were quarter-bin mainstays as much as I, I mean, I'm now, I mean, that's not to judge their quality, but just as a fact, when I was a kid, you could pick up those issues anywhere, everywhere, for the most... I mean, maybe there was one that was worth something, but I remember seeing... And those covers are very iconic and eye-catching, but I always felt a little bad that it seemed like this kind of put-away property, so I'm glad it's getting its its due. But I was, it reminded me, because I had completely forgotten that Neil Gaiman, about 10 years ago or so, had rebooted it, so I busted out my hardcover, and it was Neil Gaiman and J.R.J.R., and they did a little, um, I don't know how many, eight issues, something like that. I, I was reading the hardcover. Well, okay. well, it was supposed to be six. All along at six. It's like <laughs> issue one of six, two of six, three of six, four of six, five of six, six of seven. <laughs> seven of seven. <laughs> so I dove in, and I'm pretty sure I read this probably when it came out, but I had forgotten... And I think those of you that follow me on social media saw I got a little bogged down in it. And I think I need to figure out 
like, I remember I used to really like JRJR, and then I don't know what happened with me and him. And it's not like, you know, the storytelling solid and all that. I just, I don't know. I feel like he was once very dynamic and exciting. And the Eternals lend themselves to sort of bombastic, crazy page arrangements and everything. And I don't know. I just felt not this story. The story was kind of man. The lay. I don't know. There was it. Just I kind of got bought. I mean, I pushed through, but it really it didn't flow the way I thought. I'm like, oh, I'll just you know, I'll be a page turner ripping this thing through. And I, I don't know. So it, so talk me down off the ledge. But what am I missing? What I Why see. is this a great comic? What. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good premise well, when I saw your tweets I had to revisit it myself because after I saw the movie news I was like I want to reread that game in Bermuda Jr. series because gosh they made such a big deal of it at the time right game and coming tomorrow yeah, writing something name. first it was writing something what it's going to be then it's Kirby's Eternals we're like what and then it comes out and the covers were so non-spectacular I thought um, I'm not to throw the artist uh, Rick Berry under the bus of their their nuance but they're very dark and they don't you know it's Kirby stuff you you expect big powerful images and these were very dark shadowy what am I really looking at type covers I did like that Ramita Jr. and and the primary inker was Danny Meeky, although there were some other contributors as well. But Ramita Jr. did do the Kirby thing of like every issue trying to have a big double page splash of some, you know, city or landscape or some type of something. I thought that was kind of a neat nod, and I think that's where the Kirby Ramita, you know, that's where Ramita Jr. shined in trying to do his Kirby homage when he's drawing the Celestials, uh, particularly. But, and there were some things that were good about it, though, Andrew. I was pleasantly surprised, actually, that it wasn't as quite as boorish as I remember it. I mean, I don't, didn't really care for the whole, um, Slavic nation political aspect that they were doing but I kind of accepted I mean, the way that they did it I don't remember, know if you remember Kevin but they introduced us to the characters by having the characters be amnesic and mm. so as they are figuring out who they are we get introduced to them um, which you know is can be clever or can be laborious but it does do the very marvelish thing of explaining where they've been all this time marvel continuity wise it works works for everybody but cersei because cersei had that what i thought was the best handling of cersei's character over the decades that she's been in the marvel sandbox was when she was an avenger during the Oh, I love those books. Harris, yeah, yeah, Epting, yeah. Uh, Palmer run it. Yeah. I want to reread those. But, you know, she, she's she been more rooted in the regular Marvel Universe than the other characters. So the fact that we haven't seen Icarus in 20 years or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, I, I can I can buy that. But, you know, Cersei... And, and it's funny, they use Iron Man, and they have to... It, it makes sense to use Iron Man because this is at the time of, like, pre-Civil War 
you know, superhero registration stuff. So Iron Man is all you got to be registered if you're a superhuman and all that business. But they use him as the reader going, Cersei, what's the deal? Like you were an Avenger. What do you what do you mean you don't remember who you are? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so they use him to satisfy that dynamic, which I thought was clever. Um, and I think part of the issue, though, Steve, is you have Kirby, who's super dynamic, but because they chose the, we're going to have them as amnesiac, there's so many pages of them in, like, regular civilian oh, totally. gear. Like, who wants pages of, like, yep. Kirby characters wearing doctors out with regular outfits? That's like, that's, that's like, Eternals and Celestials are supposed to be like you said, those double splashes and things like that. And also having those Slavic bad guys. Again, they're drab kind of military guys, not people with crazy Kirby tech and colorful outfits and all that stuff. So I think that was some of it that that was, I felt like some of the design elements could have been, lend themselves to be more Kirby-esque. And I think Gaiman did a decent job trying to clarify you know who these etern- what the eternals are what their function is what their role is what their relationship to the celestials are what the celestials relationship to us as earthlings i mean we've had that redone several times since then <laughs> but you know we know that the eternals were here to basically shepherd humanity along they taught us knowledge academics writing um, farming techniques gave us fire all the things that were mythologized in in various ways and it was also funny to see Gaiman do like the obvious thing which is sort of literally explore their namesake right Eternals so they have the bad guys they they capture Icarus and they kill him like 10 different ways they put him in a smelting pot they blast his body into atoms down to the molecular level they burn him they break him they put him in a car crusher they do everything but they are eternals after all so i guess uh again they live up to that namesake i thought that's funny and the big bad thing was one of the Eternals themselves, the Peter Pan-like one, the little boy who has lived as an Eternal as a little boy and, and hates it. You know, We're getting a taste of this in the Jeff Lemire Black Hammer book, right, Kevin? The, the, the girl who you know hates being stuck as the little girl that doesn't age. Well, that's yeah. what the motivation is for the whole amnesia thing. He is a bit of a reality manipulator, and he gets his hands on the sleeping dreaming eternal that has been buried in the earth and imprisoned here by all of the other uh, not eternal celestial that's buried on earth and has been imprisoned here by all the other celestials and uses that to amplify his power and that's how he does the whole amnesia on all his buddies and everything and he uses the celestial to um d uh, to, to humanize them all, to make them all human so that he'll grow. 
he wants to like he desperately wants to turn 12 and then 13 and then 14 so that's what happened to all the eternals they've all been turned human that's why they've forgotten it all comes together and they all have to deal with it and then the big lasting thing out of the series is that the dreaming eternal awakens and ends up standing in golden gate park and is left there and that's like the little gift that neil gaiman leaves to the marvel universe you're left with a big celestial standing in golden gate park that i think i only remember it really being followed up on in the in the x-men books i thought the big thing was they kill off sprite (laughs) was also that part felt also very much like i remember in sandman he had fun with the thor loki dynamic because obviously those aren't characters you can't copyright they're you know mythological existing creatures so it felt very much like he was replaying that dynamic with the father figure Zerus, uh icarus being the thor character and sprite being the loki character so it sort of was reminiscent for me of that part of his book but i don't know it just didn't uh, and part of this is as i mentioned earlier my i have that expectation thing and i think i was just hoping for something more dynamic and over the top and crazy and having Icarus be like robot bodies, I know I didn't really. Well, all of that same. That's how they're Eternals. If they get completely obliterated, that their organs can't heal. Like when he gets blown apart at the molecular level, <laughs> then you you form again in in this little South American, uh, you know, factory. In, but, in this in this Krakoa, Steve. What, yeah, right. <laughs> what bothered me though is. All of the uh, Eternals end up remembering who they are, except for um, Cersei. She doesn't remember, so she she doesn't remember who she was during that whole Avengers time or anything, which I think pretty much stinks and makes it seem like it's not her. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, well, I didn't want her being a robot, anyways. But that did cause me to go back and reread the original nineteen issues of Eternals in the one annual off uh, Marvel Unlimited. And that part I had a lot of fun with, and it was a nostalgia trip. Not that there aren't issues. My problem in that one is I oftentimes end up rooting for the deviants more than the Eternals. <laughs> the Eternals always seem like a bunch of high-handed jerks. And I like how the deviants are like just persistent trying to do their gig. So, But that's a real fun jump on the Unlimited if you have a chance. It's only 19 issues in an annual, so you can read it. If at whatever pace you like or just knock through what I was really hoping with the movie and I'm sure it's because of the uh, new gods movie I really wish Marvel was waiting a few years Steve because one of the big plot points is uh, a Sherem is is judging the earth on a 50 year timetable and that came out in like 76 so if they could have the movie come out like 50 years, it could be like him making his judgment. That's cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, maybe he'll stand. What will he do, Steve? Thumbs up, thumbs down. He is a planet killer. But it does have Kirby's kind of dialogue that no one would ever say type oh, God, of issues. Yeah. It's a, so it's a clunky go into series. it knowing that. But... Yeah. It's a clunky series with great visuals, right? Exactly. (laughs) I love Kirby's, like, South American, like, his totemy type stuff. Yes. Pyramids and Aztec-y twists on the armor and stonework. 
but and Cersei is like a total party girl out of the sixties or something. Yeah, it's a fun, really fun, silly. I'm not sure that much of it is really going to be in whatever movie comes out. <laughs> Certainly, I don't think they'll be lifting. Hulk in there. I don't think they're going to be lifting a lot of dialogue. Can I say that? <laughs> Fake Hulk, Kevin. Robot Hulk. Because <laughs> this series yeah. like existed, they weren't sure if it was going to be in continuity or not. Cosmic-powered Hulk? They got a lot of use out of him. Hmm. Yeah, the Robot Hulk goes on to have a long, longer career in Marvel than some of the Eternals did. But yeah, And I love uh, Carcass, the one... Eternal that was forced to fight, but has a is a like a philosopher at art. He's like a big red baby looking guy with arms, and Cersei rescues him. So there's it, it's just like a master class in design, all the way from the the deviants are all great. Like you say that the Incan weird South American designs, and they come to life. They can make them jump out, and so the machinery will just appear, or creatures will appear out of it. And uh, the different Celestials. I didn't see the Prober, though, Steve. Ha. Stay away from the Prober. All right, folks. We're covering the New Warriors, the hit 90s series. Much in the same vein of our Thunderbolts coverage, we decided... Kevin long ago talked me into buying the omnibus. So I decided it was time for us to cover the Fabian Nicieza, Mark Bagley, classic New Warriors. We had our first episode where we were introduced to the heroes in Thor 410 and 411. Is that right, Kevin? 411. And the, so 411 and 412, there were two Thor issues. That's true. And we we covered the first issue, so now we're on to issue number two. I am following along in the omnibus form, but I believe these issues are also on Marvel Unlimited. They are. Kevin, what format are you reading these things in? In issues, and you should be able to find these in uh, the dollar bins, too. And while I don't recall much about this, but upon rereading issue two... I think there's a fair... I remember this way too well for this to have been my first read. Really? But I have not read this thing since it would have come out. So there is a possibility I did read this, because the plot, I'm like, wait, I remember how this works out, which was a strange, but I don't remember reading it. It's just as I was reading it, I'm like, wait a second. I remember this issue. So I... I, Maybe I am a former... (laughs) Thunderbolt reader, but or New Warriors. Sorry, I'll <laughs> that's going to happen more than digression once. before before a roll call. All right, give it to us. Give us the digression, and then give <laughs> us the roll call. <laughs> uh, I obviously remember the cover to number three because I remember combining the covers of two and three together, drawing my own stuff. But reading number three, I don't remember number three at all. I don't think I own number three, and if I did, it was. Like years later, I think this is a, like one of the holes in in the run. Like I don't really like that's that's kind of strange. Like that's the only issue. I'm like I don't remember this at all. 
Like, I remember Mad Thinker. Oh, there's that a spoiler for issue three. And I remember there's a subplot with him, but I don't really remember that issue. But anyhow, our new Warriors lineup. Night Thrasher, Dwayne, no powers. Mysterious weapon against crime. He will hit you upside the head with his skateboard. <laughs> Speedball, Robbie, the so-called masked marvel. Why is he called the masked marvel? Because he wears a mask? Very specific. <laughs> uh, very bouncy. Full of kinetic energy. Uh, Namorita. She's an Atlantean, like her cousin, the Submariner. Doesn't travel in a submarine. Firestar. Angelica. Manipulates microwave energy. Marvel Boy. Who, and if you notice the roll call in the issues where they do that thing at the top, where they list all the characters, he's not listed. What's up with that? Anyways, he's Vance. Seems to be a, a, a low-level telekinetic. And then Kid Nova. Richard, the human rocket, don't call him kid. With a, in my humble opinion, terrible outfit redesign. I keep on waiting for, I'm like, is this the issue when he gets his proper costume back? (laughs) And it keeps on going from red to brown. Yeah. Issue two has some nice Al Williamson inks. Now, Steve, I don't recall, were you reading New Warriors as it was coming out? I bought the first issue to check it out because uh, I was reading Thor, so I saw their appearance there and bought the first issue. And I think I might have picked up the second issue or at least skimmed through it in the store, but I was very quickly off the bandwagon. It I really didn't like this iteration of Kid Nova. <laughs> and like we, I talked about last time, the, at the the obvious New Teen Titans ripoff thing, um, it just wasn't. And and this version of Marvel Boy, you know, Vance Astro, I liked Vance Astro in a lot of other ways, and this wasn't the version of him I wanted to see. But Firestar, you know, but uh, whatever, it, it wasn't floating my boat. I paid attention on the newsstand. But it wasn't until some other characters that I won't spoil pop up down the line, some villains and other characters pop in that things got interesting for me enough to start buying it regularly. So you didn't know who Midnight's Fire was, did you, Steve? No. Because the cover was like, who is Midnight's Fire? And why does Night Thrasher fear him? Plus the menace of the weapons of AIM. Sounds good. I feel like they were maybe by issue four they've established more because at this point speedball is just channeling uh old spider-man peter parker (laughs) the sort of constant banter and a bit of messing up once in a while he's the and nova yeah nova who was a spider-man knockoff is instead got the macho bit of a will they won't they going with firestar firestar Uh, yeah, don't they have the... Aren't they the ones that are always kind of flirting? Nova and Namorita. Oh, I also pictured him with flirting around with Firestar, too, but Namorita... Well, I guess. But it's I've, like Namorita is, is like, oh, I hope he wasn't injured, and then Nova's all like, what, she cares about me? 
Yeah, so he feels like the insecure trying to work it with the two ladies. And then, like you, Steve, the Vance character just feels like they don't know what they're doing with him. And Thrasher is like a unpowered Wolverine, which I could have... <laughs> feels he's, at he's, times a little over the top, but I'm sure they're going to balance out the energy. But that's kind of my read of these characters yeah, based I mean, on a, lot of the, a couple of shoes. A lot of the intrigue of the team is about Night Thrasher. Who is he? What is he? What's his deal? And I didn't care. That. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like they're having the good balance yet on them. And he has uh, two support characters, which I wasn't sure if Kevin was going to get in, because he's the uh... Bruce Wayne. His superpower, I guess, is having all the money, because he has the training facilities and the and like I said, the two support uh, parental figures, although his parents were killed. Yeah, I guess more if Batman... He's like Dark Claw. How about that? The best of Batman and Wolverine put together. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, because I like Night Thrasher, but like I wasn't reading the book since the beginning, so when I come into the book, it's like his mystery is almost over. So that's... Like, it's weird when your entry point is something else, because that's... It's sure. just different. And he's already been established as like, oh, yeah. right, he's he's been around versus who's this new guy? Give me a break. <laughs> I know, and he's always just on the edge of like going to murder someone or do something. And you're like, oh, no, you better look out to him. And even his own teammates like throw him around saying, what was that? And then he's like, oh, it's all cool now. I'm fine. Yeah, I just feel like they were still formulating what they were going to do because this is supposed to be a look into his past when he had a former team. He had these, uh, this family. At first, I thought they were two uh, sisters, but I guess it's a brother and sister, which yeah. I only found out later, but some of the artwork makes them look somewhat androgynous, at least the brother, which I thought was a pretty cool look. But he ends up teaming up with them, and then a mission goes bad. And the sister is killed, who he had a romantic interest in. And the brother claims revenge because he thought they were going over the top and going Everything to potentially kill a cop. Everything is over the top. Over Macho yes. Grande? Uh, no, I'll never be <laughs> over Macho Grande. <laughs> like, a lot of street gangs, a lot of cops getting killed, those, those types of things. So part of what was odd to me was we had just read... This guy literally took on the juggernaut and was going to hit him with a skateboard. <laughs> and now he admits he's afraid of taking on some kung fu guy because he's bigger and stronger. And I'm, I'm like, I guess when he's in a blind rage, he just doesn't care. But I got to think the juggernaut's way tougher than some kung fu guy. But He doesn't have the personal connection with the juggernaut. The it's juggernaut's true. just a guy to him. He's just like, I don't really know who this is. It's true. Yeah, this I don't think the juggernaut's... Just a guy. Like, there's literally nothing Night Thrasher could do to hurt the Juggernaut. Like, he could throw all his weapons at him and everything. <laughs> there is no world in which he is taking down the Juggernaut. So, true. <laughs> that made me laugh. So, the rest of the New Warriors, and again, they're playing with a dynamic that they're not really a team yet. Yeah. So, they're going to have those goof-ups when they're in. But they all are like, all right, we'll go take care of the gang. Night Thrasher, you're afraid. You stay behind. And God bless 90s comics for multiple storylines. We also pull up the evil corporate baddies 
which was a bit of a running theme because Namorita was anti-pollution. But Gene Tech wants to get the new Warriors. I, I think he, they created Gene. Gene, Jesus, sounds bad. Gene 13. <laughs> but I thought, I know you must have loved that panel where uh, one of the persons suggests an operative. And he goes, oh, yes, Mr. Fermitz, he tends to think these things out quite thoroughly, quite deviously. A veritable mad thinker. <laughs> mm. You know, what was also strange is when they're in the training room early on and, and that one guy that that he, that he's sort of pretending he has a, like a role to play here and then he just jumps out of the way in the training room. You're like, you keep on getting these little bits like this, right? Like you find out more about Cord and you find out a little bit more of Night Thrasher's support team as this is going on and you're just like, well, that's weird. Well, presumably they must have... It's going somewhere. I mean, they're not just going to be his Alfred and his Lucian Fox. Like, they need to have some point to it. Because also, I think they're going to get tired of the just rich guy bankrolling everything. Because he has his own helicopter. I mean, like, (laughs) training room, helicopter, all that. So Night Thrasher does show up. And, you know, it's... Wolverine versus Sabretooth. <laughs> so, you, know, you know what you don't get, Andrew, is the two-page comic with Bonk's Adventure from the TurboGrafx-16. I only recognized about half those words. <laughs> That's fine. So, as Kevin noted, a lot of times the other new warriors don't know if he's going to go too far and kill people. Because he garrets, like, puts a wire around the neck of his former partner. And he's like, how could you... And his former partner had become a gang lord. So he's like, you betrayed everything. Although I did appreciate earlier in the fight, when Thrasher tries to use his skateboard, (laughs) the guy breaks it in half and is (laughs) duly insulted. I mean, I don't even think the Juggernaut noticed the skateboard, to be honest with you. but, But that's when the reveal happens that the sister... We was in love with this alive, but her legs don't work, so she's on crutches. It's the wet. Yeah, I don't think she's. I'm hoping she's not going to become a long term part of this. Uh-oh. So I'm sure the surprise Uh-oh. is when don't Silhouette became anything. a superhero. That's what dragged Steve back into the book. <laughs> <laughs> so to get out of this itch of Silhouette, it's too close to Stiletto from the old Luke Cage book. Maybe they should team up. Hey, hey, did. Does Silhouette ever face Stiletto? <laughs> but the, uh, the, his gang is on top with weird, heavy tech. I yeah. love, I love this era when, like, regular gangs always had, like, crazy laser pistols. <laughs> <laughs> God bless comic books. Like, they just don't have guns. They gotta have, like, crazy tech. Well, and they so probably he's... stole it, right? Or oh, would yeah. you steal from AIM? And he's like, or... if you don't let our leader go. Is there an aim, like, payment plan if you want to, like, ransom other tech? I think they've had the storyline where, and I know the um, the Tinker did this, where you oh, you would right. do the work, but you'd have to pay a percentage of the your ill-gotten profits. So, he's like, look, I'm a bad guy, so I'm going to order my troopers to fire on the people if you don't let me go. 
And so they don't know what to do. But luckily, the guy breaks free from Night Thrasher and says, shoot at the New Warriors instead. <laughs> so uh, they have some trouble trouncing these guys. More because they're getting in each other's way. As yeah. I mean, you know, that's going to be a theme. But what happens in the main battle, which is Night Thrasher against his former partner, the mob turns on him, which helps distract the guy. And Night Thrasher beats him while the new warriors take care of the gang on the rooftop. And Nova gets his shirt really wrecked up. So, as a result, Stiletto feels betrayed because her brother is now turned so evil. And they're wondering if Night Thrasher, who has like a retractable blade that almost looks like a claw, comes out of his Am I beating this Wolverine thing too much? So the question is, is he going to kill him? And he gives him a matching scar instead. And the New Warriors are like, would you have killed him if we hadn't said anything? And he's like, I don't know. You decide. And they're like, that's not good enough. Namorita's got her arms crossed like she ain't going to put up with this. So they're not really a team yet, which, like I said, I like because now the one interesting through line is they're going to have ways to pull this team together. But we lose Al Williamson. It's not a knock on Larry Malstep, but, you know, it's a different anchor for the third issue. Which one makes me a little sad. Yeah. I like Al Williamson. I thought that was I'm a big at- difference. When I first flipped open issue two there and saw those inks, I was like, ooh, this looks great. Mm-hmm. I have a great scene of uh, Rick Leonardi, Al Williamson inks from Spider-Man 2099. Oh, yeah. Issue one. And it's the, the it's it's not any outfitted heroes, but it's like has a building on the side and Peter wakes up in the Middle East crowd. Just a really great, great page. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to malign Larry at all. I think he does great. It's just you know, Al Williamson, man, what a, I did not appreciate him enough at the time. I'm going on record, but this is the superhero sensation of the nineties, Kevin. So you must've really felt that. <laughs> In extreme nineties. Yeah. So this ties back into the last one where the mad thinkers hired to track down and get what information he can. And at this point he is palling around with Primus. No, not the less cool, less Claypool band. <laughs> you you mean that Baron Zemo cast off? But someone who, uh, I guess it's the Andy Standin. Andy the awesome Andy <laughs> I just laughed. I do this roll call thing, and like they explain where all the pictures came from, and now Marita's just there in this like casual <laughs> outfit. <laughs> oh, and... They get into some, I guess that's later in this. I'll get into it later about this guy that's the head of this company. I'm like, wow, this digs into stuff. I totally, well, I didn't, I know that's the, one of the things why I'm like, I don't remember reading this because it's like one of those Thunderbolts things where they introduce like the Guardians of the Galaxy, but not the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and I do want to, uh, I feel these are very meaty issues. I'm yeah. going over, like I'm skipping the substantial depth with which they get it. But Primus is basically 
one of those, uh, like from the next generation data, like trying to discover what, like Machine Man, Aaron Stack. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to be human? And has uh, one of those sort of proto morphing bodies where he can change his shape and has quite a high power level. So the issue is then the Mad Thinker encountering each hero separately and giving them a clue about yep. where to meet them for the big showdown. That's the thing. If you have six characters and you meet each of them for like two pages, that's like half your issue. (laughs) But I thought, again, we're in the age of they're going to compress this to give you the character's kind of main motivation and setup. Yeah. And lay where they're going. I think it was well. I like this is right in my nostalgia zone for how I like stories. I mean, good Lord, if this... This issue today would probably be six issues. And each mm-hmm. one would have their own, like, he'd approach each one, or maybe two per issue or something. I don't know. So, Hickman would probably have a chart in there. <laughs> but so we get Speedball, and his he has an unhappy home life. That's the thing. You you find out, like, what, like again, like, they, like until... Certain things will ebb and flow with the book, but you like you find out like where they live, who their supporting casts are, if their parents are there, what their situation is. Like, there's a lot of ground to cover. Yes, and uh, again, the speedball cat, which I always loved, Mary <laughs> Ditko yeah. from the original creation. I think Primus. Let me recorrect. Imagine uh, MP with no personality. That's what Primus is like. So, for instance, here he turns into, like, a motorcycle so the Mad uh-huh. Thinker can leave in any kind of shape. So that explains the power level. But likewise, Night Thrasher is meeting up with Silhouette to see, I guess, so they can talk about whatever. Uh, Andy has the sneaking suspicion I haven't seen the last of Silhouette. But Hope Springs Eternal. Well, and again, she does that little thing where, like, Night Thrasher is about to get hit with something and she throws off something and you're like she's a little too good at what she's doing well maybe she's uh gonna be like bullseye maybe that would be a good team up but it's a gang member in this instance but it's really primus in disguise and again the same kind of clue will he figure it out sadly uh rich rider is estranged from his parents and he's leaving (laughs) he never finished high school he's not going to and he's like, I'm just leaving, Pops. And he's quitting the gym. He's just a real... <laughs> you know what you don't a, do, he's Andrew? Got a Blow these up on, your mass, uh, on a massive monitor type of thing and zoom in and see all these really buff guys talking, going, hey, how come you're not here? You don't want to get jacked? You don't want to get pumped? And I'm like, ooh. I mean, to give you an idea, the sunglasses, the ponytail, and a half shirt... And then a jacket with no sleeves is what yeah. Rich rolls around. So maybe I should be grateful his costume isn't worse than it actually is. But he feels like we need a 90s this guy. Yeah. He's two seventies, and I could have done... I'm hoping at some point he's going to evolve past that. Doesn't... It, for a second, in like one of the panels, it almost looks like he has a little bit of Abe in him. I was... Oh, I could see Abe. I was also thinking maybe... Clone Wars type, they, that was pop. Weren't they giving Peter and those guys the same kind of mullets mm-hmm. and ponytails and over muscular? But then Firestar is cooking 
in breakfast using her microwave power. Yeah. As you do. Of course you do. It's like if you're Iceman, you, you'll chill people's drinks all the time. And her whole thing is she doesn't want, she wants a regular life. Like a lot of the mutants. They're tired of being mutants. I want to live a regular life. Uh, Vance Astro is just a blank slate, as we indicated. Hopefully he gets a personality. But his issue is his dad was violent towards him previously. And reading his journal, he finds out he's still being superhero stuff. He needs to set a password on his computer or something. Well, I just, I'm getting a whole Hulk vibe with, like, the abusive dad and as a trigger for the powers type of thing. And then he sort of carries up, like, the same thing that is, like, it's, it's an ugly situation. Yeah. So the, the, all the clues led to the juggernaut confirmation site, confrontation site. But what, Namorita shows up in, like, this this casual wear. Nova shows up there. I'm like, is everyone just going to be wearing, like, some random clothing? Well, remember, I think Nova ripped his shirt in the last issue. Yeah, well, what's he wearing there? Uh, yeah. What the heck is that? A tablecloth tied around his neck? And I thought well, it was part of his uniform, the shirt. Oy. Well, it got all tore up, so he had to replace it with a muscle shirt from Ow. his gym. Although you're right, normally the muscle shirts are shorter. Although I wonder if Namorita always goes with the green theme. But Firestar and Vance show up in outfits. Yeah. It's it's just... It's just a little weird. <laughs> yes, and the thinker shows up and he's like, Look, I'm actually not... Here's my deal. I was hired by Gene Tech. They want to, you know, get all the, deta- the deets on you. But me, I I don't really like working for them. Uh, I think I'm not going to give them, you know, maybe. Or maybe I'll give my bit out. And Night Thrasher just freaks out and decapitates the Mad Thinker. But oh, Kevin, like- as you know, the Mad Thinker is always never there. He's three steps ahead. He's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but that creates, uh, Primus freaks out. Before we have the reveal of the robot, um, so there's a, you know a page of fighting, but then Speedball shows up late and he's like, "Hey, hi gang, good thing I was late, or we really might have hurt this guy." Which I kind <laughs> of like, as he holds the decapitated head, and they're like, "Look, I haven't done anything illegal. Like you guys need to think about what where you're going. What are you doing? What's your future? What what job are you going to take? Is that going to be your career? Yeah." Yeah, Nova. You gonna finish high school? Get your GED? Exactly. Are your test scores good enough? What are you gonna do? So, Night Thrasher's like, hey, let's go take on Gene Tech. Why not? Right? That jumps us right to issue four, where they do take on, and we have the same anchor following up. And Uh Nova does change his shirt, and Amarita does change her outfit. (laughs) Of course they do. They did take a little break to change those outfits, but otherwise they head right there. I I like how they do the classic face-off cover thing where you have the villains on one side and then you have the heroes on the other side. So, Kevin, you do have issue four, right? Because that's got to be worth a lot. We're introducing five new characters. Uh, When the new Warriors movie comes out in 30... Oh, 30. (laughs) That sounds bad. 2035. Uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want this team. 
and run run down when these uh, the new baddies make their first appearance. So they break into the facility, but they're taken out one by one. Oh, why, Andrew? I guess they didn't spend enough time training. No, but what again? Much like in the last issue, uh, Speedball was late, so he's not in the. <laughs> Well, apparently he's not that fast when he's bouncing around. I, that makes sense to me, actually, especially with his lack of control. Certainly all the flight-powered characters and the fact that Night Thrasher has a helicopter. That explains why he's always there. And they inter- introduce something here where, like, when the villains are um, attacking them, like, there's there's a way you can, oh, they're experiencing this or they're remembering that or whatever it is you know one of those techniques so we can get some more in-depth character stuff on who these people are yeah because they only mentioned in every other issue that night thrasher's parents were killed so you know (laughs) well this is a way to show it not tell it (laughs) i think he mentions it and when he beats someone up he's like you didn't have your parents killed and it's like (laughs) holy jeez ease off slow down batman (laughs) we get it but i I did like Firestar gets zapped with like a distance thing where it just zonks her brain out, which I really enjoyed. Like that was the takeout I liked the best. But when Speedball shows up, uh, you know, he gets a tracker to their location because the support staff never gets caught. How about the dude from Gene Tech? How he's involved in all these like important moments in Marvel history. Like he could have been Captain America. He, like, helped out Howard Hughes. He was with a young Reed Richards, and I'm like, he was everywhere. Well, I feel like there was an intentional throwback nature because they do the the four-chapter thing, which was very early 60s Marvel. So I feel like some of that was, like, an intentional, like, we want to, we're going to tell it 90s style, but we're deliberately invoking classic Marvel, and I like that. Because I think I've mentioned when we did those uh, Strange Tales issues, I normally don't like the chapter one, chapter two split up of a comic. But here I feel, because it's that homage and they're playing with that, I feel like it's very classic. Especially to have the bat, the good guys captured and put in a cage rather than eliminated. or like, I don't know, it just felt like they were doing a classic riff on an old-timey story. And the the villain monologues, like you say, and tells all these moments where he was in Marvel history. And what I also like is the decision to change Nova's color scheme to be brown and almost <laughs> yellow. Like, they really are pushing him to be Wolverine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but Speedball breaks in, and so he's spying on them as well, and we meet the five new bad guys. Oh, yeah. We're going to make this issue super valuable when we get their power. This is Drew. Are you gonna you you can do a roll call on these bad guys if you want, Andrew? Well, I was gonna say which one was your favorite, Kevin. Which one did you have a poster of above your bed? Um, uh, I can't say that one. That would be weird. Um, and one of these characters showed up in Thunderbolts, didn't they? Or somewhere? Why do I remember us talking about pretty persuasion before? I believe she was right near the before they were doing all that time travel. I think she was oh. the one that turned up uh, fighting against the person that could control fabric. Didn't they have a few uh, jokes about undoing the fabrics? That's interesting. But it's a nice, again, all one page. Everyone gets a paragraph of their powers. 
and who they are. And, and they're like, they're oh, doing. we purposely picked people that, that were all different from each other. Which and the, their be background, the too. Yeah, so uh, coronary, pretty persuasion, mathomaniac, they can get rid of him anytime. That's a terrible name. <laughs> Asylum and impulse. Wait, not, not Bart Allen? <laughs> hey, now, we don't get that. We're going to wash your mouth out with that filthy DC talk. <laughs> so interesting powers too. Coronary uh, can manipulate a biometabolic processes. So that's a good. I mean, you, he could so, just kill someone. Does he make I you presume. gassy? Maybe. <laughs> oh, so he's the one I can blame. God damn it! <laughs> You've been following me my whole life, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> he's just pranking you all the time. It's like, oh, all of a sudden I feel a little heartburn. It's like, ah, that's me, it's coronary. <laughs> Pretty Persuasion it has a Star Fox-esque power to stimulate the pleasure center, and she can also form, uh, like, whips and stuff from psionic energy. She can transform her own erotic impulses into a variety of sonic weapons. <laughs> I-, I wonder if she's ever teamed up with Stacey X. It's like, oh no, here comes the fuzzy dice. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see her and Star Fox face off. They could, like, out, you know, who would win in that battle. Uh, Mathomaniac. <laughs> really? He's really good at crunching numbers. He's a math telepath. <laughs> and, and they're like, we don't really know what this means. We're still trying to figure it out. Um,. Asylum is a former mental patient. He always has, like, the... He can get in your head and make you learn about the truth of yourself or a lie. I like, like kind of like the misty type of... You know, they can just draw whatever and it looks cool. I liked Impulse's design. Especially his, like, razors on his arms and stuff. Yeah. Man. The idea that you give the violent guy the knives, you... you constantly remind the crazy guy that he was that he's crazy by calling him asylum (laughs) (laughs) well what could go wrong i guess well this is only their test case right they're like we didn't like exactly how these guys turned out in front of these guys yeah well so they seem kind of like i mean impulse purportedly can act at the speed of thought but we see in combat he doesn't seem to move quite that fast You, you mean he's like speed demon Except I don't think he's that fat. Like, that was the weird... I'm not quite sure that the descriptions were well baked out, but once we get the intro and everybody's had their spiel, then Speedball can break in and destroy the generator that holds them in their prison. Ah, yeah, Speedball to the rescue. And then, like all classic comics, Chapter 4, it's the rematch. So how who do you think do you like the the how they line up against like obviously impulse and night thrasher because night thrasher has no impulse control <laughs> seem like a good match like how do you how do you how do you like these battles boys I think it's pretty good like pretty persuasion goes goes against Nova and you're like oh that's not gonna work out well some Marvel boy steps in and I'm like that's smart and then you have the whole thing that Namorita is bringing um, what's that dude coronary. into space, yeah, coronary into space, but he, he doesn't think through that what's happening, and then he ends up 
killing himself? That's what I could... I mean, he seems to be reduced to complete pieces. Like, we think he's dead, dead? I don't know, because he kind of shatters all over. Like, I don't don't know if he can reassemble himself. Or maybe they... Gentech will... Like, there'll be some future issue, and Gentech will be like, oh, we put him back together better than ever. Yeah, that was weird. Well, anyways, uh, again, for working at the speed of thought, uh, Night Thrasher easily beats Impulse, again, with a speech about they didn't kill your parents type. (laughs) Well, remember, that's the important thing. If they kill your parents, you have enough motivation. (laughs) If they don't, then maybe you shouldn't get into the hero game. I get Well, maybe that's why I'm fat and lazy. (laughs) (laughs) This is the 90s. (laughs) You need a good dose of hate. Yeah, that's the other thing. Do you have a lot of hate, Andrew? (laughs) They should have faced off against the hate monger. That would or a psycho man. Those there could have been some good villains for these guys. You you, you might be able to to uh, learn to fight to hurt to kill though. That's the, that one you might be able to learn. Yeah, I'm pretty slow. My parents. <laughs> I I haven't spent years in training. But as you say, when Night Thrasher goes over the line, Nova just throws him into the wall and says, chill out. (laughs) Yeah, this super-powered Nova, I mean, super-strength Nova is still weirds me out. Yeah. 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 And then Namorita makes a joke about possibly Coronary dying. He made a complete glass of himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, did, did he die? Like, I assume he's then not dead. Like, I don't think they'd just be casual about... <laughs> like Because de- they seem so freaked out when Night Thrasher's going to kill someone. So I have to assume that they know that that's not for real, real. But that guy kind of did it to himself. And, like, they're extreme 90s heroes. So, you know... I did laugh. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, they don't really know, though. But I'm just saying that they seem very upset yeah. when Night Thrasher's going to kill someone. It's true. So then the joke about, like... <laughs> but that's personal. They don't know these people. If they don't know the person, they're just like, oh, who cares? It's funny because I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, Namorita's an Atlantean. They, you know, they have a strange sense of humor, as her cousin has displayed several times. Oh my god, I'm just completely ignoring there was another bit where they're comparing Atlanteans to other humans. Yeah, there's a few. We'll just skip that section. But anyways, those were the three issues we laid out to cover. I thought they were fun. Like I said, it's still awkward characterizations at this point. But there's a lot of energy. I love this type of storytelling that's just compressed. Lots going on. It feels like you're really moving. And they're getting there. They're getting there with these characters. I feel like they're in a direction. And maybe maybe by like eight, nine issues in, I feel like they'll be more solid for my take. But what are you guys taking away from this? I, I have to mention one more bit. The sure. last page, it teases something, and I didn't know it was teased this early, or I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good bit. It's Just good. some Egyptian stuff. And you're like, what's that? But we won't get to it. Yeah, I, I've, I kind of feel like they're they're slowly bringing it together. It's still enjoyable, but we're gonna we're gonna work on this. We're gonna they're gonna workshop this into something even better as it goes on. 
when they do get to that Egyptian stuff, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think I would be buying this on the reg. Like, if this, I just bought this issue, I don't know that I'd keep it up monthly. Right. My, well, well, I tuned into this book because Darkhawk was showing up, so... Oh, that is quite a, some way down the line. Yeah, so, you know, I don't really have a claim to fame where I was like, I was there! What hits me going back and reading is now is that everyone's costume, except for Firestar's, is awful. I mean, just <laughs> atrocious, all of them. Speedball's um, all right. Speedball's all right. They need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, right, I'll give you I Speedball. Mean, there are multiple iterations of these costumes over the years, so... Thank goodness. That might be a reason. And new characters this issue, too. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Uh, it was all... I liked that they have their own bad guys, too. Yep. Their own, I mean, I like that they're integrated with the Marvel U, but it's always fun when they give them their new... Uh, secret... You know, scientist factory there, Star Labs. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and they're hinting at things in the future, weird, crazy stuff. And the company was in the first issue, so it's it's all it's all weaving together. Wait, was that our our new warrior segment? We hope to continue. I don't think they ever came out with a second volume of the Omnibus, but I did see last year they did have a trade that picks up where this one left off. Yeah, the trade definitely continues after the omnibus, so that's cool. So will that be our future, Kevin? Who knows? Yeah, aren't we going the whole way? Or we're just doing the omnibus? Are you going to have to buy issues, Andrew? That's what everyone wants to know. we got to at least get to the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's make that another episode of Marvel Noise. Tune in next time for some more... Merriment in the mighty Marvel fashion. Next week when we cover um, Powers of X. More Hickman. (laughs) More X books. Since when do we talk about X books on this podcast? I know, it's weird. It's like everything has shifted. Until we talk about X-Men books on this podcast. Make my... No, that doesn't work, does it? (laughs) No, it doesn't. It wants to... We used to farm all that stuff out to great expectations. Uh, I, I know. I hope they're enjoying the Xbox. As I joked, now we can be lowered expectations. 